Lowe's helps pros like you get the job done right by having more of the supplies you use most in stock every day. Like treated lumber, fencing, and decking in the quantities you need for any size job. And we help you save with deals like $20 off a Metabo HPT 3.5-inch gauge 21-degree pneumatic framing nailer now just $179. Order ahead at Lowe'sForPros.com and have your order delivered or pick up in-store. Our dedicated pro loaders will load you up and get you back to the job site where you're needed most. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 9-8, U.S. only. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. You're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Welcome everyone to episode 262 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we are going to begin with our division previews. We're going to get the worst one out of the way. We're going to start with the Southeast, so get excited for Washington Wizards hot takes. Before we get to those, we're going to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. Are now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? Brian, I, I'm actually very sad and disappointed because I was holding out hope that Sony and Disney would figure things out. But alas, Have- Spider-Man is not going to be part of the MCU, and I've spent way too much time thinking about that and being heard about it so so yeah now now it's the time for healing and and just accepting uh what what's what's about to come but i'm not a happy camper let me just state that right off the bat ha, have there been new developments on that front that i miss yesterday basically sony's rep said that they had closed the door uh, on it. Uh, so yes yes it, it i was holding out hope and and i shouldn't have hope is dangerous <laughs> correct I think that's the moral of all of those movies. Have no hope. We're all going to die. So joining us today is a very special guest. We have Jeff Siegel, an editor at Peachtree Hoops, and also the founder of Early Bird Rights, one of the best salary cap sites out there on the internet. Jeff, how's it going? It's going really well. I am not as invested in Spider-Man. I've seen the movies, <laughs> but I don't really care that much that they're, he's not going to be a part of it. That, you know, and I that would... was it for Jeff, and we appreciate him coming along. <laughs> right. Great, great having you. <laughs> I've been trying to get my wife to see the new Spider-Man for two months now, and she adamantly refuses. And she also refused to see Into the Spider-Verse. We recently watched that, and she is now atoning for refusing to see it in theaters. So pray for me as I continue <laughs> to wage the battle of trying to see Spider-Man Far From Home. That's a but, good fight. That's enough Spider-Man talk. Jeff, before we get into the the, uh, Division preview, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at JG Siegel. Uh, You can find my work mostly at Early Bird Rights and Peachtree Hoops. Early Bird Rights is the best place on the the web for for salary cap information. If I can toot my own horn on that for a second, um, 
We've got you know all 30 teams salary cap information. I've got this new rotation tool that's pretty fun and interesting that people are, are liking. We'll have uh, stats coming in uh, this year for the 2019-20 season. I'm still working on that. I've got about six and a half weeks to get all my stats uh, stuff uh, posted. And then uh, you can find all the Hawks stuff if you're interested in the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, you can find all of that over at Peachtree Hoops where we uh, we do the best job covering the Hawks of anybody out there. So, you know, I do... Uh, I think the, the Hawks are going to be an interesting team this year. We're obviously going to get into them either first or last or at some point during this, this podcast. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll kick it off with, uh, with one of these teams, I guess. Yeah, let's start with the Hawks because, yes. frankly, they're the most interesting team in this otherwise very sad division, I think, at least. In terms of long-term upside, I think you know I, I can see the Hawks turning into something, whereas the Wizards and the Hornets are possibly two of the saddest franchises in the entire NBA and Miami and Orlando feel like they have a 40 45 win ceiling and that's about it so the Hawks you know we we have we have to start with Trey Young who started off slow last year people were quick to anoint him a bust even after summer league because it's the internet and that's what we do we overreact to three games see everyone last night with the NFL calling Mr. Trubisky the worst quarterback ever in the history of sports Trey Young got similar treatment uh, last year, but then he turned it on toward the end of the year, finished second in the Rookie of the Year race to Luka Doncic. Um, frankly, acclimated more quickly than I figured he would. I, we we both, in last year's preview, said the kid's going to be really good, but it's going to take him time to improve his shooting efficiency, and it took him half a season, and now he looks like a future all-star. So, Jeff, what do you think that next step is for Trey Young to really tap into that upside and reach that all-star level that he seems like he could. I mean, I think it's it's going to be more consistency-based for him. It's going to be fewer turnovers. It's going to be shooting the ball more consistently. You, you know, you can't have a month like the first month of the season where he shot like 20%. Like, that's just not that's not something that, that's going to work for him if he's going to be an all-star. I would think that he sort of moved past that. They sort of let him go. Uh, and let him do whatever he wanted for the first month of the season. And then when it went really poorly, they sort of reconvened with him and like, hey, like maybe you want to listen to us and we can sort of help you out a little bit. Uh, and so I think now that he's sort of gotten past that, that's going to be you know, a big part of, of moving forward is just sort of being consistent, being, you know, especially with his, with his passing. Obviously, he's you know, one of the best passers in the league already, but just you know, turning the ball over less, reading the defense a little bit better, just all of those little incremental improvements are, are going to be the biggest thing, I think, for him going forward. And then there's a, you know, a couple of little things, like he could get a lot better as like an off-ball player. Uh, you know, I think he doesn't, he has a strong tendency to stand still when he swings the ball and will even like sort of chase his own passes if he hasn't like set up a teammate directly for, for a shot. So if he throws the ball just sort of across to like Kevin Herter and, and Herter doesn't immediately either attack or shoot, then Trey will literally like run to Herter to get the ball back. And so like that's part of his own sort of development as like you can trust your teammates. Like this is not Oklahoma. <laughs> like your teammates are good as well and you can give them the ball and then run away and you don't have to get the ball back. So I think that was a big part of his his, his rookie years. Just sort of he was he was very it's hard to call him selfish because he's such a good passer, but he was a he was as much of a selfish selfish passer as he could have been based on the 
based on just the way he played and the way he would was very unhappy to play off the ball or just didn't really understand you know how he could play off the ball and, and use his spacing to you know to its fullest extent so I think that's sort of the the biggest sort of mental thing that he could overcome and then of course like the defense is what it is I don't think any small defensive leap would be fantastic but there are very little expectations that he's ever going to be anything close to good on the defensive end yeah yeah that, all that makes total sense um do you think does he have all-star potential this year or do you think he's still like a year or two away i think he's a little bit away only because the team is not going to be very good and i, I think we'll get mm-hmm. into this a little bit later is like this team is worse than it was last year in terms of like the yeah. cast around their core three guys and so i think if they're not if they're not winning consistently, it's going to be hard for him to put up the right uh, the right numbers to to sort of make it make it overwhelming that he has to make it even though he you know even though the team is bad. So I think I would I would think that he's one year away still from being you know in the in the true All Star conversation in the Eastern Conference. But I mean anything's possible, of course, because it is the East and there are, you know not as many <laughs> high level guards. Uh, and there's, right. you know, he'll be in the conversation, but I think it's it's really one year away before he's really gonna be uh, in that high level conversation. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. He even if he puts up the stats, as you said, if they're not, you know, if they're a below 500 team, it's gonna be hard for him to make a convincing case over even a guy with worse stats playing on a good team. So that that all seems fair. Um, Mort, since you're the resident Jabari Parker expert among us i wanted to ask you about him because he was one of the guys atlanta brought in this summer he's going to play behind john collins who i'm sure all three of us are very high on so it's not like the hawks are going to need 30 35 minutes per game out of jabari but what do you think they can expect out of him mort uh some scoring some rebounding and some playmaking and and hopefully it's just a settled role because Chicago was never the solution for him. Washington was never the solution for him. Uh, he needs a structure wherein he can come in in a very defined role and understand what he's what he can do and what he needs to be able to contribute. He's a very good rebounder. He can initiate the offense. He's an underrated passer. The, the scoring is a bit hit or miss because he's one of those guys who you know, can, can shoot 27% from three as well as 41% from three over a full season. He, he's just that type of guy. So I would hope that because Atlanta has a, a fair bit of shooting on the roster, that he doesn't get too trigger-happy from the outside and maybe skills back the shot attempts a little bit and becomes that secondary you know playmaker off the bench a little bit. That could be very interesting. Much like with the Trey Young uh, defensive proclamation by by Jeff, I mean, I don't think Jabari is ever going to be a, a plus defender. He just doesn't have the, the 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 IQ on that end of the floor, unfortunately. So you have to look at him as a guy who comes in and just helps on the glass and otherwise is all in on offense. So for him to get to the rim, play off the ball a little bit, and, and make plays on the ball, that's what they should be getting for him. If he steps out of that zone and tries to do too much, it's gonna go bad. <laughs> That's that sounds about right. And uh, Jeff, I want to ask about another guy who might fit that mold in Cam Reddish, the number ten overall pick in this year's draft. Um, I know it, it kind of seemed like coming into the draft, a lot of teams, fan bases in that you know, like late six to 10 range, we're kind of wanting to play hot potato with him. Like 
you recognize the talent because he came in to Duke as one of the highest recruits in his recruiting class and just never seemed to find his groove next to Zion and next to R.J. Barrett. He kind of, as the third wheel, didn't really live up to his pre, pre-college pre hype. So what do you think the Hawks get out of Cam Reddish this year? And if you want to talk about DeAndre Hunter, too, the number four overall pick, uh, you know, kind of the polar opposite of Cam Reddish. He's not going to be this high upside scorer, but he's this 3 and D, hopefully all-world defender who can at least somewhat cover up for Trey Young's deficiencies on that end. Yeah, I mean, I think with Cam, it's going to be they're they're sort of making the bet that the the core injury that he suffered at some point throughout his time at Duke doesn't doesn't you know doesn't continue into his career, and that's sort of not representative of what he is going forward. You know, I think any of us who have had some sort of core muscle injury can un- can understand how that messes with your balance a ton and makes it impossible really for him to take contact and finish around the rim. You know, and so I think that's. That was his biggest weakness, obviously, at Duke, where he was just he was awful at the rim. And I think some of that might have had to do with the core injury. I think you know, hopefully, for his for his sake and for the team's sake, that they're they're hoping that he will you know be back from that fully by you know for the, having the entire summer off. He didn't do pretty much any pre-draft workouts. Did, hasn't really played competitive basketball since since his days at Duke. And so I would expect that he's going to start relatively slow. They may even, you know, have him sort of in a, in a very small role. If Chandler Parsons is healthy at the beginning of the year, he might be the backup small forward and Reddish, you know, gets 10 minutes a game just to sort of get his feet wet. Maybe he even plays a little bit in College Park, which is, you know, right down the street from, from Atlanta. So I think that would be something that they could look into if he's sort of getting off to a slower start. But I don't expect too much from him this season just because, it's been so long since he's played competitive basketball and it's been even longer since he's played well in a competitive setting. So, you know, I think he, I think they're, they're banking on that core injury being, you know, fully healthy and him being able to get his balance back both on offense and defense, but especially around the rim. And, you know, if he can get that back under control, then I think he's, he's a good prospect, but it's just sort of, he's, he probably will start a little bit slow just because it's been so long since he's uh, been out there. Yeah, that that makes total sense. Um, how did you feel about the Hunter pick? The pick itself was fine. I had him around you know four or five on my board uh, for for my own sort of work that I do. But I I was not super enthused with the trade that they made to get him. You know, I think trading eight and seventeen and thirty five and taking on Solomon Hill like that's just a lot to 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 do to get you know DeAndre Hunter who is not. A superstar level prospect he is he fits relatively well with this team at his ceiling he fits very well with Trey Young and John Collins and, and Kevin Herter sort of fits right into that uh, that uh, starting small forward spot I expect that he'll start when they open the season this year but he's not he's not the kind of upside guy that I would take a a big swing on like that I would not trade you know three picks and 12 million dollars in cap space and you know a, a couple of extra uh, little assets on top of that just to get a guy who sort of maxes out as a as a very good role player. I think that's something that we saw last year how, you know, Trey Young, you know, the, the, the Trey Young, Luka Doncic trade, Dallas was willing to spend an extra first round pick to move up to get uh, to get Luka. That makes sense because Luka was, you know, should have been the number one overall pick in my estimation and was very was very much a superstar level prospect. Hunter is not a superstar level prospect, so to play to pay 
sort of this level of price where you're paying the eighth pick in the draft plus number 17, which is basically like, you know, spending a, a future first in, in the same way, plus 35, plus the, the, the $12.8 million in Solomon Hill. It, should, it was just a lot to pay for him. So, you know, I don't, I don't particularly think that that trade was, was a good one, but the pick itself is fine because of, because of Hunter's fit and because he was, you know, him and, or Jarrett Culver was, you know, the best guy available at that spot. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, it, it does seem like they were prioritizing fit over talent at that point, which is typically not what teams do at that high on the board. We, I mean, with Cleveland especially, we saw the next pick down. They took Darius Garland, even though they had Colin Sexton, and now there are questions about how those guys fit. But the, Cleveland said, screw it. We're still early in a rebuild. We don't know that, you know, is Colin Sexton a guy that we're, like, planning to build around? Probably not. Or maybe not. We don't know yet. But whereas... Atlanta has Trey Young, has John Collins. Like those two guys seem like they should be foundation pieces for Atlanta. So now you can start to think about fit more so than talent, even though that's not common at that spot on the board. So, I mean, if you look at this Hawks lineup here, like Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, you had four fifths of something that is very interesting. Depend, And then, you, you know, you have Alex Lennett center, he had the talent at one point to be a top five pick. He hasn't quite lived up to that reputation yet, but like they have one of the more intriguing young cores in the league. Now it's just a question of how it all coalesces. So Jeff, you kind of already hinted that, you know, you don't seem to have high hopes for this team in terms of the win loss record this year. So Mort, I'm going to throw this to you because the Hawks are going to be in that conversation with your maybe allegiance to the bulls as that you know if everything breaks right this team could possibly get the eight seed what do you think the hawks ceiling is do you think they could be a playoff team this year or like with trey young and his all-star you know future all-star game appearances are they like a year or two away from really entering that conversation as an above 500 like seven or eight seed well I i think they could make the playoffs this year um but I will say as much, I, I do agree with Jeff that in, in terms of like the actual roster, they do appear to be a little bit weaker this year. So what it comes down to is the internal improvements, right? It comes down to development. How much better are the young guys this year? Because if their growth outweighs what they lost in free agency, um, then then I think we have a legit dis- discussion on our hands in terms of how good they are. And I think I'm very positively inclined towards them. Let me just say that right off the bat. When you have a point guard like Trey, who, offensively speaking, you know has as high potential as you can have, really, in both in terms of scoring and passing the ball and just understanding the game, you have an unselfish shooter in Kevin Herter. You know, you have John Collins, who just seems to get better not just by the year but by a month, and then you have a lot of complimentary guys who, yeah, still needs to get their feet wet, but have lots of talent to offer. And you've got some veterans there, like Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, Chandler Parsons. You know, knock on wood that he's healthy. I, I could see them make a push for for seventh or eight. Uh, you know, Kawhi is not with the Raptors anymore. I don't think they're necessarily going to miss the playoffs. But if Pascal Siakam, for example, goes down, there goes their season. Plus, there's the thing that they could pivot if they get a good offer for, you know, Kyle Lowry or Marcus Saul, and that should open up a slot. You know, the Bulls might not be. Uh, all that good because of Jim Boylan, maybe, you know, or, or injuries. Like, that could be a thing. So I'm definitely not closing the door on Atlanta at all for the playoffs. Um, 
Not not saying that you did, Jeff. <laughs> but I mean, I uh, would say I'm, that I'm I'm not entirely closing that door, but I think it's it's ninety five percent closed for me. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I I think I I think for me it's it's significantly lower, but I understand where you're coming from with it. Yeah. Jeff, what what do you think are realistic expectations for this team this year? What do you hope to see out of them, even if they don't make a playoff bid? I mean, for me, it's it's all down to the to the individuals. Like, if Trey Young, like we talked about, can get a little bit better off the ball, more consistent, fewer turnovers, that's a step forward for Trey Young. Mm. John Collins needs to be better on defense, just across the board. He needs to be have better recognition. He needs to be more of a weak side rim protector. He if he can if they're going to play him a little bit at backup center, which is something they've avoided in the past because he's so bad defensively. He needs to be you know better in defending primary actions and pick and roll. That's going to be an important step for him. If if he, if he wants, if they're, they're sort of, the way that they view John Collins, and I've talked to Lloyd Pierce, and I've talked to a couple other uh, coaches in their, on their staff about it, they, they want him to be Blake Griffin. And that's not the, a word that they use. They don't use Blake Griffin's name. I'm use, sort of using it as just sort of a, a path for John Collins offensively moving forward. They want him to be somebody that they can give the ball and he can do things from all three levels and he can you know post up he can get offensive rebounds around the rim he can be a rim runner in in pick and roll but he can also handle the ball at the three-point line run a little bit of pick and roll even score for himself at the elbows they want him to be sort of that all-around power forward um so that any step that he can make in on that front would be you know would be a, a very positive step for him and then, of course, you know, the, the defense is, is the, I think the defense is a bigger issue. They don't seem to really care about defense based on everything that they've done over the last couple of years. So maybe that's not as big of an issue for them. But, you know, I think Collins making a leap on defense so that it's not that, you know, because Trey Young got all of the, the, the negative criticism for his defense. But John Collins was just as bad. Like, and he's mm. almost worse because he plays a more impactful defensive position because, you know, because he's a big man and, and versus a, a perimeter guy and Trey Young. So, you know, I think that Collins has to make a, make a leap defensively. And if those two things happen and they end up winning 35, 38 games, like then that's great. But if those two things happen and they win 29 games, that's also great. Like it doesn't really, mm-hmm. I'm not super worried about the win loss ratio. It really has a lot more to do with, can these guys make that leap going forward? Can Kevin Herter be more aggressive with the ball in his hands? Can he get to his spots? Can he, you know, be a real secondary playmaker? Those are the sorts of things that I'm looking for this season without necessarily worrying too much about the win loss. I don't think that all three of those things are going to happen. I would, you know, you know, how would you, how I would sort of handicap all of that? I don't, I'm not entirely sure, but I just don't, I don't expect all of those things to happen. And those are the things that have to happen for them to make a playoff run because they're, this the, the the surrounding cast on this team is is not very good. Yeah, <laughs> this is all bringing back flashbacks of like the second or third year process Sixers, where we were all like, it win loss record does not matter at all. It's just strictly player development. Do these young guys add to their games? If they do, great. I don't care if they win ten games or fifty you know, look two years in the future, we could start worrying about wins. But for now, it's just what could Trey Young add in this second year? What could John Collins add in his third year? And I think that's the right way for the Hawks to go about this season. It, You know, there's no, it doesn't matter if you get the eighth seed and get swept. If like your player, if you, it became, or if it happened because you were playing Alan Crabb and Evan Turner a bunch of minutes and you were burying your young guys. It's like, you want your young guys to continue developing and building upon 
what they already can do. So I, I think that's a very reasonable outlook for the Hawks. Your beard is how you distinguish yourself. And using Cremo beard products is how you distinguish your beard. From beard wash and scruff cream to revitalizing oils and styling balm, each is designed to soothe, soften, and relieve the itch for any stage of beard growth. So whether it's short and scruffy or long and glorious, your beard will always look and feel its best. Cremo Beard Products. Beard boldly at Walmart, Target, CVS Pharmacy, Rite Aid, Walgreens, and on Amazon. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. We unfortunately now have to turn to the Charlotte Hornets, who I genuinely think might be the saddest team in the league after losing Kemba Walker. Um, for the you know they <laughs> they allegedly or reportedly offered him somewhere in the neighborhood of a five-year, hundred sixty million dollar deal, which is more than sixty million less than his supermax, which means. They overpaid his entire supported cast, and then when it came time to pay him, they balked. So instead, they signed and traded him to Boston for Terry Roger. And Jeff, Mort and I have ripped the Roger contract up and down this summer, but since you're the salary cap guy, I want to ask you, was that the worst contract handed out this summer? Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really not very good. You know, there's there's very little in the way of expectation that he can return positive value. I can't imagine that he will because his best role is to play like as an off guard next to a, a, a guy who can play make, but you don't want to pay that guy $19 million because you need him to, to be your, your end-all, be-all primary playmaker, and that's what they're paying him to do, but he's not that guy. He does not have the handle. He doesn't have the passing IQ. He doesn't have the, the willingness to take the right shots. Like He just doesn't have any of the sort of between-the-ear stuff that you need to be a primary playmaker on, a, on a, even a decent team. You know, So it was... I've always... I, I like Terry Rozier as a player if you can convince him that he needs to be like a supercharged version of like what George Hill was, you know, where he just spots up, shoots threes, and defends the hell out of the point guard position. And if he can defend at the point of attack and hit threes, then he, that's what you need from him. You don't need him to be taking dribbles and making decisions with the ball in his hands because he's not very good at that. And so... But they paid him to do that stuff. Like they're not going to pay him nineteen million dollars to be a secondary uh, a secondary guy because they don't even have a primary guy. So, right. you know, it's it's going to be it's not good. I would think that like it's it's there's no way that he gets positive value on this contract for the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe he gets traded to a team where he can provide positive value because they already have a primary playmaker next to him. That would be ideal. Mm -hmm. That's why I wanted him to go to a place like Dallas, who has Luka Doncic. If he would have gone there, even for, you know, obviously $19 million is a bit much. But if they had paid him $14 million mm -hmm. a year, if Dallas had done that, I would have been like, perfect, this is great. Rozier can be that secondary guy next to Doncic. This, that makes sense to me. If he had gone to Philadelphia and been that secondary guy next to Ben Simmons, next to Joel Embiid, that would have made some sense. I know that Brian might not like that as much, but <laughs> he could have at least played that 
3 and D kind of role. But then again, like he's never shown the willingness to do any of that. And I don't know whether that was because he wanted to have the ball in his hand so that he could get paid like he just did, or if he just sees himself as the you know a, a point guard and does not see himself as sort of an off guard. And so it's hard to hard to say without like really knowing what he wants and who he is and all of that stuff. But it seems like that we've had we have enough information on him to see that he's difficult to deal with and, and difficult to sort of understand difficult to tell him what his role should be and it's unfortunate because he has the three and d qualities that you would want but he wants to be so much more than that and charlotte paid him to be so much more than that so they're going to try to put him in that role right yeah i'm glad that you could see me recoil when you suggested him coming i didn't even Philly. see it i just imagined <laughs> it and i knew like yeah he's probably recoiling behind my behind my notes yeah. oh yeah yeah i mean you, we saw the upside of Terry Rozier in that 2017-2018 playoff run where he helped get the Celtics to within a game of the finals. Like That is what the Hornets paid him to be, essentially. But as you said, Jeff, we have four years of evidence suggesting he isn't that player, and he's, he's yet to shoot above 40% from the field. You know That alone should prevent a team from paying him $20 million on average to be a starting point guard. But he's also playing on a far less talented Hornets team than he did when he was on the Celtics, when he had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Al Horford and Marcus Smart around him. Any of those players are probably the second best player on the Hornets right now. And so now he, instead he's playing with Nicholas Batum and Marvin Williams and Cody Zeller, all of whom are NBA players. But are they very good NBA players? You know, no. not necessarily. So... More that that leads to the next question of what's next for the Hornets basically because they don't have Kemba now and they, they right now it doesn't seem like they have another potential star player on their roster but they do have a couple young kids they have Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington. Do you think any of those guys could turn into potential cornerstones for this Hornets team or are they like completely starting from scratch here? I think they should consider starting from scratch, uh, and and you could say that they are. I think Miles Bridges could be an NBA starter, like full fully fledged full time starter. Uh, Malik Monk has had two very unimpressive you know, for, first two seasons. Uh, not really, uh, he he hasn't really shined in the way we thought he would. You know, coming in from Kentucky, he was a scorer, he was a shooter, a great athletic ability. Those skill set, that skill set is still there. He just hasn't been able to implement it yet. Maybe with Kemba out of the way, I put that in quotation marks because Kemba was not a net negative for them by any stretch, maybe that allows Monk some more freedom to actually dig into his bag of potential. I have my doubts. Bridges, to me, seems like the most obvious uh, guy to move forward with. P.J. Washington is a good player, but I'm kind of concerned that the Hornets are always taking sort of the safe route in the draft. They don't really swing for the fences. They always go from with, with players who are older from very solid programs like they want very solid pros in their own minds which you know it does have some merit but eventually you're going to need a star you're going to need someone where you just you bat the hell out of it and, and go for someone big and they haven't done that and I'm, I'm really skeptical in terms of their approach to the draft if they're going to be able to turn this thing around it seems like they're just always going to select guys who you know have a certain cap to their games mm-hmm. um I'm I'm not really high on the Hornets now. So I think in terms of you ask me like what should they do right now? 
they should basically look at the world as the zombie apocalypse and close themselves in to like cavern and something and just wait it out until everyone else is dead so they can come out for fresh air again so just i've i've in my head just kind of made them irrelevant over the next five years yeah yeah i mean i think that's the right approach to this team like next year when we do the southeast division preview i'm again probably going to dread talking about the charlotte hornets because the the one thing that you could say they do have going for them is that they will start to have salary cap flexibility after this season so biombo comes off the books marvin williams comes off the books michael kid gilchrist comes off the books and then after 2020 2021 Batum, I mean, there's no way he's not picking up his $27 million player option next year. So right. he, will, he will come off the books after the 2020-2021 season, as will Cody Zeller. So the only guys they definitely have under contract after the next two seasons, of one more year of Roger, P.J. Washington, and Miles Bridges, they still have rookie options on. And at that point, Malik Monk will be a restricted free agent. So... Jeff, if you're in charge of the Hornets, what do you do over the next two seasons to kind of ride this thing out? You tank like hell and you try to get a couple top five picks and you can then go into that summer of 2021 with a couple of top five picks, hopefully, plus, uh, you know, a couple of these younger building blocks. Perhaps if you believe in these guys as building blocks, that would make some sense. And then you sort of, that's how you would move forward is, is sort of with Rogier as this stopgap point guard while this, while, you know, while things are, are sort of running their course, you know, the fact that Rogier got three years was mandated by the CBA. Like you can't do a sign and trade for less than three years. So the fact mm-hmm. that it's three years makes a little bit of sense. I would have probably pushed them to, do a non-guarantee on that final year or a partial guarantee so that they can get out of it if they want to. But I think having that final year of Rozier in their sort of first year of having real financial flexibility is not a huge deal. But the problem is really is like even if they had a couple of top five picks and they like what Bridges and Washington are bringing to the table, who's going to Charlotte as a, as a free agent? I mean, Rozier did, but that's because they paid him twice as much as he's worth. Like that's not... <laughs> That's not a, an indication that they are a you know well-run organization that free agents are going to consider. You know, Kemba Walker was there for years, and then they lowballed him. Like that's not going to just disappear. You know, people like you know the the guys around the league know that that happened. Are going to sympathize with Walker in that sense, and like I don't know that they are going to be able to turn that the, that perception around that they're a cheap franchise who is never willing to pay the tax and is not willing to do what it takes to win. So does a full teardown even make sense because how are they going to to move forward with that is is my sort of thinking is like if they going if they're going to have cap space in 2021 that doesn't seem all that useful to a team like Charlotte right yeah i mean the and the summer 2021 free agent class is potentially i mean we don't know teams or players can reach extensions but on paper, it could be loaded. Like, we could have Bradley Beal and Oladipo and Giannis and uh, Rudy Gobert. And then, like, if LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George all turn down their player options, like, we could have a bunch of all NBA-caliber players on the market. But as you said, are any of them choosing Charlotte over, you know, a bunch of other teams know, can look ahead two seasons from now and know that this class is coming up? They They should be planning ahead already if they aren't. So a lot of teams will have their eye on that market that summer. I'm sure a lot of teams will go ahead and enter that summer with a max slot. So yeah, I mean you could hope like a moonshot what the, you know, the Clippers and the Nets did where you say, "Okay, well you can get 
two max guys and like pick your favorite teammate, but it's probably not going to work. So, I mean, the thing I would do if I'm the Hornets, they do have a bunch of like these, those middle range salaries and a bunch of expirings. I would just eat bad salaries and pick up more assets like cap space. As you said, Jeff, it's not really going to matter for them for the next couple of years. And even in 2021, it's probably not going to matter for them. They're not going to get a superstar in free agency. So basically take after what Sean Marks did with the Nets, throw big offer sheets at restricted free agents and at least screw over other teams if they're not or if they are going to match or flip some of these salaries and take on multi-year deals in return. I think especially a lot of teams are if they're trying to clear cap space for 2021, Charlotte may be able to extort them a little bit and say, okay, that's great. I know what you're going after. You're trying to get a LeBron. You're trying to get Giannis. That's fine. We don't care. We're not going to get those guys, but you have to give us something extra because of, you know, fewer teams are probably going to be willing to take on money beyond 2021. We are one of the rare ones that will pay up. Well, that's what they should do. But in terms of who the organization is, like, yeah. what's the likelihood of that? Zero. Absolutely yeah. zero. Yeah. People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorists Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. <laughs> this might be your new favorite. You're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip ice cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. Let's move on to the Miami Heat, guys. And Mort, I'm going to start with you because you are the Jimmy Butler expert after having watched him in Chicago for a bunch of years. He left Minnesota on very bad terms. It seems there are conflicting reports about whether Philly offered him a five-year max this summer or even a four-year max how much they wanted him back, even though he was frankly their second best player throughout the entire playoffs, or even first best if you take into account Joel Embiid having to miss a bunch of games or be hobbled at times. Um, What do you think he does to this Heat team? How much does he raise their ceiling? It depends what type of version of Jimmy Butler Miami gets. You know, the the Jimmy Butler who played his last season in Chicago in 2016-2017 he was a top 10 player. And I realize a lot of people are looking at that going top 10, but he was. When Even when you look at like the advanced numbers, when you look at how little spacing he had alongside him, just the lack of help generally, and how the Bulls actually end up the season. He was a top 10 player. And then, you know, came the trade. He had to, he didn't really do all that well in Minnesota in terms of like the, the cohesiveness in the locker room. Like on the court, he was brilliant, at least that first year. And then everything went to hell. And... 
<laughs> it seems that his his roadmap here has been kind of filled with with different franchises. So I wonder if he can identify with Miami and just kind of look at that situation and go, okay, I'm I'm settled in now. This is where I need to be. This is where I'm going to be for an extended period of time. Now I can go back to focus on my own game because when he, you know, he had to really amend his own game when he reached Philly. Because suddenly he had a, a baby Shaq version under the rim. He had Ben Simmons who was controlling the basketball. He had a lot of these movement components. I think he needs to just have a year where he settles down. Maybe that comes this year. Like maybe he's already there mentally, and he's like just inclined to say Miami's the place to be moving forward. This is I'm here. I'm I'm ready to just accept and embrace this whole entire culture. Or maybe it takes a year. But his skill level hasn't gone anywhere. Like this is one of the primary two-way players in the league. Fantastic defender, a very underrated playmaker and passer, a guy who rarely turns the ball over, ball over. Not the greatest three-point shooter, but you have to guard him, especially when he gets hot. And he can create a ton off the dribble. So, in terms of how he raises Miami's ceiling, that's I would say alone pretty significantly. But the lack of of proper teammates around him is concerning. I wonder who really can step it up. Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo and Justice Winslow are, are three capable players, but I, I feel there's a significant drop-off after that. And yeah. I wonder if he can really lead that team to something of interest. I mean, playoffs? Maybe. Maybe not. It, it's, I have no idea where to put Miami this year. None. <laughs> yeah, I'm right with you. And, and I think... You touched on it. Uh, the fit between Butler and Winslow in particular is going to be really interesting because I know a lot of Heat fans have been clamoring for Winslow to play on the ball more. A lot of Heat fans think he's basically just a point guard, but as we saw in the playoffs, Jimmy Butler also operated really well in an on-ball role when he's the one initiating pick-and-rolls. So, Jeff, how do you see the, the fit between Butler and Winslow in particular working this year? I mean, it's, it's tough. Like you said, both guys excel with the ball in their hands. Both guys are sort of not super willing or great outside shooters. Like even Butler had some, you know, points at which he should have taken threes and was, you know, settling for, you know, dribble, dribble and, and ju- ju- you know, get a, a two-point jump shot. So that's a concern. I mean, I think both guys are good cutters. Both guys are smart players. So there's a, a little bit of if one guy has the ball and the other guy is, is constantly moving, then at least it can work a little bit better. But if one guy is, you know, sort of just sitting in the corner, then defenses are not going to have to pay attention to that guy. Defensively, they're going to be a monster, which is really, you know, going to be where Miami sort of hangs its hat. You have those two guys on the wing. You have Bam Adebayo doing what he does in, in the middle of the floor. They can play zone. They can play man. I think that they're going to be a, a monster defensive team with the addition of Butler and, and assuming that they get, uh, you know, fully healthy seasons out of Winslow and, and Bam Adebayo. They can, they can do some stuff on that end of the floor. I think the offense is going to struggle slightly, and a lot of people are going to look at the offense and, and think that that's going to push them down the standings but the defense is going to be where they sort of hang their hats and I think that that's where if they're going to make a, a playoff run that's where you know that's how they're going to do it yeah they're they're basically the Spurs East in that regard um, and more you were talking when you mentioned PJ Washington with the Charlotte stuff this next guy came to mind because he went one pick after and it's early you know we're basing this really off of summer league but Tyler Hero looked like a major steal. We saw some really interesting on-ball work from him that we didn't really get to see during his time as college. So do you think he has the chance to kind of give Miami that boost, that scoring boost off the bench that they need? And 
do you think he's looking like a steal already? Uh, I think it's too early to say. I, I, he did look good in summer league, um, but but it's summer league. Right. <laughs> it's summer league for for a reason. I, I I did see a lot of Miami fans go the route of calling him the new Sack Levine, which I think is is a little bit premature. Um, but I understand where the mindset uh, comes from. It it really depends on on Spo, right? If he feels confident that Hero could come off the bench and provide them with twenty minutes of stable offense and just some creativity and creation, uh, you know, off the dribble and some long range shooting. If he gets the minutes, you know, it's it's hit or miss. He's a nineteen year old rookie at this point, uh, but it would be interesting to see what he can do. Uh, I think they need his offense. To be honest with you, I, I who, where should he come from? Like Derek Jones Jr. is a terrific transition player, but in the half court he struggles. He's he's kind of shown a a, a three point shot on occasion, but not something that I would rely on. Kelly Olynyk is you know, more a pick and pop player, and that's about it. Dion Waiters is well, Dion Waiters. So so I don't feel as though there's so much offense going on. They kind of need Hero to just expedite that whole or accelerate his own development a little bit. Um, whether he will or not, that's that's a big question. But I I think they could have ended up with someone who definitely outweighs his his draft position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting because you know the Heat have done well in recent years with these kind of late lottery picks in Winslow and Adebayo, and if Hero turns into their next kind of find in that range, that sets them up well and gives them a nice supporting young supporting cast. Jimmy Butler, who was already on the wrong side of 30. Um, Jeff, the Heat do have some, they will soon have some salary cap flexibility. Goran Dragic is entering the final year of his deal. James Johnson and Kelly Linick both have player options for the 2020-2021 season. What do you think they do with Dragic this year? Do you think they keep him around the whole year and just let him expire, become a free agent in 2020, where Frankly, he's going to be one of the best free agents out there because the free agent class sucks next year. Or do you think he's one of those guys they might shop around heading into the trade deadline? I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with how their first three months of the season goes. You know, as soon as they hit mid-January and they sort of understand, okay, are we in this? Are we in this run for the top five seed in the East? Are we right up there with Brooklyn and Indiana before Oladipo comes back? Are we right in that? that range or are we fighting with Detroit and Orlando for the eighth seed you know and I think that's going to make their decision for them in a way that they can they can look at that and they can look at Dragic and be like okay if he's a big part of our team and we're fighting for a top six seed then maybe they keep him and just go for it uh and maybe they extend him they are there they can extend him through June 30th they can sort of see how things go and they can talk to him about an extension if he's if he's happy and they're happy with him that would be another path for them to take but then again, if they are where I think they're going to be and they're sort of on the cusp of the you know, 7, 8, 9 seed with, with Detroit and, and Orlando, then they probably should look to, to move him as soon as everybody becomes tradable in December or you know, mid-January by the time everybody becomes, becomes tradable at that point. Then they have a couple weeks to sort of uh, suss out what, which, which trades work best for them. Is there a team that is going to view him as a positive asset if, they're, if there is and they can get you know, a pick or a couple of young guys back for him. I think that would be ideal for, for what Dragic can bring to the table for a team. But it is going to be, it's going to, I think it should heavily depend on where they are in mid-January when they have to make this decision. Yeah, for sure. I, I think even if they're 
I feel like the only way they definitely trade him is if, like, Butler gets hurt and they just go completely off the rails because it feels like Pat Riley is one of those kind of old-school guys who just doesn't believe in maximizing value on assets, whereas, you know, you look at the Clippers who traded Tobias Harris at the trade deadline last year knowing they weren't planning on re-signing him and knowing they could actually get a pretty big haul for him even though it possibly meant them falling out of the playoff race and you know they did not they ended up actually performing really well and <laughs> doing so well in fact that they convinced Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to come so it worked out really well for them but I, I could see the Heat you know if they're in that seven eight nine range just saying no we want to make the playoffs with Goran Dragic and whatever if he leaves he leaves so it's I think that's one of the really sneaky interesting subplots for this heat season is how does Pat Riley approach this year and next year because ultimately I think the goal is going to be get Jimmy Butler a co-star sooner than later he's already 30 um but it's you know next year's free agent class sucks so that's going to make it tricky if they're looking for someone on the free agent market. Uh, they've been reportedly after Bradley Beal, and they have the salary matching fodder to make that work. There, there have been some conflicting reports as to whether they are willing to trade you know, enough to get Beal and John Wall, uh, or basically just take on John Wall's contract to get Bradley Beal. And there's, it seems like there's some conflicting reports about whether Washington is willing to do that. So, you know, no one had the heat pegged as a Jimmy Butler landing spot as of mid-June. It really came out of nowhere once it became clear that Butler wanted to go to Miami and that the Sixers were willing to work a sign-and-trade. So never rule out Pat Riley in terms of his creativity and how he's going to get Jimmy Butler a co-star. But I think that's going to be one of the interesting plots of the season is you know how this Heat team does and how they manipulate kind of the their mid-tier contracts from like Dragic is at 19.2 million and they've got five or six guys in that 10 million or above range so they could be one of the more active teams at the trade deadline if only because they have the the salary matching fodder to make it work hi it's jamie progressive's employee of the month two months in a row leave a message at the Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Sherwin-Williams. Hi there. I heard paints are 30% off. Yep, and stains too. Right here. Mm-hmm. Only at your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Right now? Well, August 29th through September 9th. Ah, bring it in. I'm a big hugger. It's cool. Ask Sherwin-Williams August 29th through September 9th and save 30% on paints and stains with sale prices starting at $26.94. Only at your local Sherwin-Williams store. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Guys, let's go into Orlando next. And more, I have a very impartial view of this, of course, but we, I feel like we have to start with <laughs> Mark Helfoltz, who's the big X-Factor hanging surprise, over. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's really the X-Factor for the Magic this season. Like, if he can Yeah, if be, he plays. Right. If he can be the, the, the player that the Sixers thought they were getting with the 2017 number one overall pick, 
that raises the ceiling for the Magic. But yes, the question is, is he going to play at all? And if he does, what are they going to get out of him? So heading into the season, what are your expectations for Markel Fultz, if any? I, I, Yeah, I have none. I have absolutely none because we don't know what the hell is going on. I mean, the last thing we heard, unless there's something, a new development has occurred, but the last thing we heard was that there was no timetable, mm. that they had no idea when he would play again. So at this point, it's just flipping a coin, basically. I, I, I have no idea what to expect with, from, from Fultz. The only thing I'll say, and I think we all are in agreement of this, is that you know I hope that he just figures this out and he becomes healthy and everything works out for him and be, and he becomes the player he was in Washington because the NBA would be so much better off you know with him living up to that potential. But right now he's I I feel it's almost an insult to him to sit here and just kind of lay on expectations or theories because. Fact is, we have no clue, and it seems like you know, he himself has been very unaware of what's happening to his, to his own body. So it's it's impossible for me to sit here and lay any types of expectations upon him. Like, even if he plays, we, we have no idea if the shoulder thing is going to come up again. We, mm-hmm. we literally know nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the right way for the Magic to approach this, too, is like every, anything you get out of him is gravy at this point yeah. you, i mean you they gave up effectively nothing for him they gave up like jonathan simmons and a top 20 okc pick that's going to turn into two second round picks so like it was well worth it but i think they gave up a, a early second round or two actually but like still three second round picks for the guy that was the number one overall pick two years ago worth the gamble but yeah you can't you can't go into this season expecting Markel Fultz to be the player that he was coming out of college because you just don't know if and when that player is ever going to come back. But I, I'm with you. Hopefully he does. I mean, I think uh, I think it was like Jonathan Isaac or someone who gave a recent interview to, I want to say it was Alex Kennedy of Hoops Hype, and he was saying, like, you know, we're in the gym with Markel. Like, he's a special player. You, you see it. He's working really hard to get back to where he is. So... Fingers crossed, it all works out well for him. But yeah, I mean, I think going into the season, you just can't know for sure what you're going to get out of him. Uh, Jeff, well, what, the- what's interesting though, what's interesting though, and, I, and we could mention that is how much does this change for Orlando if Fultz actually comes back and is fully healthy and all the mental stuff is gone? Like, how much does that swing? Like, we've been talking about Orlando a lot over the past like four years, mm-hmm. and we've always been, you know kind of sour on them like they haven't really done what they should have done and uh, this entire the, their entire trajectory would just change immediately if false becomes yeah. just 80% of what he was in college it's yeah. amazing how much of a factor he can be which is very very intriguing so uh, i mean for my money even though i have you know no opinion on what he's going to do this year because we don't know i'm going to look over you know the newswire every single day to look for yeah. for false news because right. it's he's such an intriguing player. Like coming out of college, there, there was an element of him that was essentially Dwayne Wade with a legit three pointer, like mm-hmm. that offensively at least. So this is one of the most intriguing prospects over the past ten years at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's. I just think it's important we don't forget that. It, it's really important we remember just how good he was in college, and we don't like look at him as some sort of throw in. 
Oh no, for sure. Yeah, like yeah. It, he would completely raise their ceiling if he can get back to where he was. It's just like you can't count on that yeah. at this point. But I mean, yeah, it, it it begs the question because the other big issue hanging over this team is kind of just a positional logjam. And I mean, they they remind me of those process Sixers when they had Nerlens and Okafor and Embiid. Not to that extent necessarily, but we're talking about they they re-signed Nick Vucevic this summer. They still have Aaron Gordon. They still have Jonathan Isaac. They have Mo Bamba. They signed Al Farouk Aminu this year. They still have Kem Birch, who's also a fine backup center. So, Jeff, how do you think they find enough minutes for these guys, or can they? I mean, I think it's it's probably going to come with playing some guys out of position every once in a while to make sure that everybody gets their minutes. And, you know, Aminu's addition to this team doesn't make a ton of sense from, like, a roster-building perspective because they already have, like, a whole bunch of power forwards. You know, between Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac, you would have thought, like, they're set on power forwards going forward. And yet then they add on a, a fairly decent power forward in Al Farouk Aminu when they could have spent, you know, that middle-level exception on a guard, on a point guard, somebody like that. But... It seems, I mean, it's, they seem to really be going all in on like length and defense from the, the sort of three through five positions. And is that, if that means that they have to play Gordon or Isaac at the three every once in a while, I think that's something that they're at least willing to explore, willing to try. And, you know, it's not necessarily what we would sort of view as the modern NBA. It's not necessarily something that a lot of teams are going to, to try, but it's going to, it's going to get everybody on the floor for them who matters and who is part of their their core moving forward. And I, you know, I think that that's it's it's not ideal, but I think for what Steve Clifford does in particular, the way that he coaches this team to be as good as it is defensively, having Gordon and Isaac out there together, or having Gordon and Aminu, Isaac and Aminu, that should be fine for them defensively. Whether they can make that work offensively certainly you know remains to be seen, but. It's you know it's it's going to be difficult. I think they can go smaller in some non-Vucevic lineups. You know, especially because of how you know poor Mobamba's uh, rookie year went. They can sort of move away from having a true backup center. I don't know what that means for Kem Birch. I don't know if Kem Birch you know it was was signed to be traded. That would make some sense. You know, they could probably get something you know dec- a decent value for for a backup center like Kem Birch if they wanted to go with. You know, the, all three of their, you know, Aminu, Isaac, and Gordon all together sort of is just like, these are our front court guys. We don't have positions. Just go play. Like, that would be kind of interesting. So they've got a lot of different things that they can do. None of them are necessarily like the most modern approach to NBA basketball, but I'm not sure that that necessarily is a bad thing for an Orlando team that is not necessarily, you know, not trying to compete for a championship. For sure. And Mort and I have talked about this over the summer, but. You, know, you look at the top two contenders in the East in Milwaukee and Philly, and both of those teams loaded up on size as well. So maybe Orlando has been zigging when everyone else is zagging towards small ball. Maybe they figured the natural counter was, okay, well, screw it. We're just going to get a bunch of really long, tall guys and see you know, if, those, if we run into a small ball team in the playoffs, maybe we could just bother them with our gigantic size, even if our offense struggles. Or if the league swings back the other way, we're going to have a couple years head start. So, yeah, it, it might work out for them. I'm still kind of thinking they're going to need a consolidation trade at some point, And I just really want Aaron Gordon to be freed the way they 
set up his contract in particular, and Vooch's too, actually, with both of them descending as the years go on, make those guys, in theory, very tradable. I think Gordon in particular, when he's, you know, two years from now, he's making $16.4 million. He's going to be one of the best value contracts in the NBA at that point. So they have some options if they do decide to shake their their roster up a little bit. But, yeah, I think the, the question is, you know, in the meantime, before they potentially decide to move one of these guys, how do they keep everyone happy? Um, more, the other question for the front court, at least, is Nick Vucevic, who had a playoff or a career year last year. He averaged almost 21 points, 12 rebounds a game, shot almost 52% from the field. Wasn't even as bad defensively as he had been in years past. Do you think that's replicable at this point? He's heading into his age 29 season. So in theory, right smack dab in the middle of his prime. Um, Do you think he can build upon that? Or is that the best Nick Vucevic we're ever going to see? I I think it's the best Vooch we're going to see. But I do think he can replicate it one more year. Uh, it, It all depends on the motivation because he was you know, a, a free agent. So he, this was a contract year for him, and he was just going all out on an Orlando team that really didn't have a clear top dock. So he had somewhat free reign to, to put up the numbers that he did. Um, I, I think he this could be somewhat of the new norm. I, I, I hope so, at least, because he was very, very good. If not, it's somewhere between last year and the year before. I don't think he's going to revert back to the old Vooch whatsoever. Uh, there are definitely some components to his game that improved significantly last year that I can't help but think you know, are just going to be staples in his game, particularly the shooting and the passing that just you know went up an extra notch. So those those features I think will remain. It's just whether or not he's as invested now that he's gotten paid. Um, I want to be optimistic and say yes. Yeah, I I don't think it was like I don't think he was motivated. But or I don't think he's one of those guys who's gonna like tank just because he got paid. I I think he genuinely enjoys basketball. He's not going to Hassan Whiteside it and become a malcontent. I you know I, I do think there's right. a chance that that was the best just because I mean it, it was an outlier in terms of his production. Like the two years prior, he averaged you know 14 points or basically 15 or 16 points, 10 rebounds a game. So that boost suggests and especially given how much competition he's going to have for minutes that's probably the best we're going to see him maybe on a per minute basis he improves but i'm guessing just in terms of like raw box or numbers he's not going to be as efficient this year as he was last year but we, we will see there and it, it, a lot depends on mo bamba too his development because jeff or as jeff said bamba was disappointing as a rookie and got hurt but if he takes some steps forward in the second year that probably cuts into Vooch's playing time a little bit. Oh, so we're 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 definitely going to see some some Mo Bamba Vooch four or five, right? Screw <laughs> oh, it, just do like a meeting with the point guard Isaac Gordon Bamba Vooch. Let's get crazy. No, but I'm I mean I'm serious. Orlando could do it. Yeah, like, they would they would definitely test that thing out, wouldn't they? And then throw Aaron Gordon at the three or something. Yeah, I mean if you're facing like the Bucks and you got the Lopez brothers on the other end, you might have to. Oh god! Then like Jonathan Isaac, like hey, he's agile, only two twenty. Uh, that's the same. That's the same weight as T Mac. Screw it, go him with with him at the two. Why yeah. not? Someone's <laughs> got to defend Giannis. We'll see who. 
Um, Jeff, someone has to win this division, as sad as it is. And it's not going to be Charlotte. We're going to get to Washington in a minute, but it's not going to be Washington. We, we talked about the Hawks earlier and how they're probably still one year away from being real competitors. So it, it comes down to Miami and Orlando, basically. Miami missed the playoffs last year, but they got Jimmy Butler. Orlando made the playoffs last year, but their only real addition of note is Aminu, and then again, the question of whether they get anything from Fultz. So do you think this Magic team this year is a playoff team, and do they enter the year as the favorites in the Southeast Division? I think they do on both counts. I think they are still a playoff team. I think they do. They should enter the season just from a continuity perspective as the the, the favorites to win this division again, whether that... I don't, I don't think in the betting markets, because of Jimmy Butler's name and who he is, I would imagine that Miami is probably the favorite. I haven't looked into that. I don't know if those odds are even still out are even out there yet. But I would imagine that Miami is probably the favorite in, in Vegas and on, on the betting websites just because of who Jimmy Butler is. But I think Orlando is the better team. You know, everything that we sort of said about Miami, where they might struggle a little bit offensively because of, of some fit issues, but they're going to be a monster on defense. Orlando is that, but they also fit pretty decently, at least, together offensively as well, with Vucevic as the, as the main sort of scoring threat on, on their team and, and the way that DJ Augustin can, can run the point guard position adequately. I think that's a, a, a good sort of boost for their offense and then their defense is going to be at a very high level again Steve Clifford is one of the best defensive coaches in the league there you know and the fact that they play hard and play together every single night in the regular season that matters you know obviously once you get to the postseason the 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 fact that everybody plays hard and knows how each other plays is not that useful because everybody's playing hard in the in the playoffs but during throughout the the course of the regular season you can win a lot of games just by trying and caring more than the other team like that's just the way it is and it's unfortunate that that's the way it is it's probably not good for the game overall but that's the way it is right now and Orlando has that sort of feel to them that they can they can win just by just by trying and by playing you know playing defense hard and they're going to be awesome on that end of the floor and you know I think that their defense is what will carry them ahead of a team like Miami or even Detroit which is you know not a team that we're talking about here but just in that bottom part of the the east playoff picture you know I think Orlando should be the best team there. That just feels so gross to hear. But I, you're right. It's just like, ugh. I, just, God, the East is terrible outside of the top <laughs> Welcome to Sherwin-Williams. Hi there. I heard paints are 30% off. Yep, and stains too. Right here. Mm-hmm. Only at your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Right now? Well, August 29th through September 9th. Ah, bring it in. I'm a big hugger. It's cool. Ask Sherwin-Williams August 29th through September 9th and save 30% on paints and stains with sale prices starting at $26.94. Only at your local Sherwin-Williams store. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. And, and speaking of terrible, let's end with the Washington Wizards who are probably not going to have John Wall at all this year. He tore his Achilles in February. It sounds like he's likely to miss most, if not all, of this season. So the big question hanging over them at least for the next couple weeks, is Bradley Beal. They offered him a three-year, $111 million extension in July, or the first day they were eligible to do so. Beal has yet to accept the extension. He probably will not. Uh, he, If he turns it down, he's still eligible for an extension next summer. 
He could be eligible for a Supermax next summer if he makes an All-NBA team, so that may make him wait. And I think it was David Aldridge of The Athletic also said Beal just has some questions about the future of this team and how they're going to build around him moving forward. So, Jeff, I'm going to ask you, if Beal does not sign the extension by you know October 21st is the deadline, do the Wizards have to consider moving him at that point? They should consider it. I don't know that that's necessarily something that they have to do because he's got a couple years left, because he could qualify for a a Supermax extension this year by making an All-NBA team based on how bad this team is going to be. Maybe, you know, the the odds of him making an All-NBA team are not super high, but if he puts up monster numbers, even on a a bad Wizards team, he should be in consideration for, for, uh, you know, a third-team All-NBA slot so they can sort of hold that carrot in front of him that, like, if you commit and you play well and this team is good based on what you can what you bring to the table, then we're going to give you $230 million or whatever the Supermax extension will be next year. So they've, they've got that sort of carrot to put in front of him. They've got that sort of advantage, inherent advantage to, to what they can offer him. So I'm not sure that they necessarily have to look to trade him, but it would certainly be something that I would consider if I were them. If I'm looking at the, the landscape of, of deals that have, you know, current or in the last few months have been completed for superstars paul george anthony davis that's the kind of deal that i'm looking for for bradley beal i want a ton of first round picks i want a ton of young assets i want something you know because bradley beal is an all nba kind of talent that's the the sort of package that i would be willing to to trade him for especially with two years left and you know particularly in this situation where they might be able to offer him that supermax extension so i'm not sure that it's like a that absolutely means that they have to trade him but it is that would be the start of of my trade conversations if i were them yeah i'm right with you you're right they still do have some time left before it really gets to an anthony davis-esque situation but i feel like we're headed that way right like i i don't i haven't seen many people like saying that this is definitely going to end like it did with anthony davis in new orleans but bradley beal isn't stupid and he can look at this wizards roster and say like as long as John Wall is here and you're not going to get off that contract now, there's no real way for the Wizards to build a title contender around those two guys. You know, Bradley Beal before the Wall injury last year, there, there was that like infamous practice incident where I think he got in a fight with Austin Rivers and John Wall got in a fight with John Green and then Beal went like turned to Ernie Grunfeld and was like, I've been dealing with this for seven years, man. I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> this is all about to fall apart. I, I just feel like he's going to want out at some point. So if I'm the Wizards, I would at least start to entertain conversations. I know they say Tommy Shepard, their new general manager, says they aren't going to, even if he turns down the extension. But, yeah, I, I don't think they're under immediate pressure to move him. But as you said, Jeff, I think that type of blueprint of, like, multiple picks, multiple young prospects – that's what they should be going for. Denver continues to stand out as a a very logical destination for both sides, just given their wealth of young players and their proximity to the title. I mean, Bradley Beal could very much be the final piece that elevates them into that top-tier contender conversation. So I think really the whole Beal situation is the number one storyline to watch for the Wizards this year. Does he take the extension? Do they start shopping him? Does he demand a trade at any point? That's the only storyline that really matters for this team. 
because they they are going to be terrible otherwise. But more they did sign Isaiah Thomas to a one year vet min deal, total no risk deal, which is great. Do mm. you think you know Wall is going to miss the whole year? They still their only other real point guard competition for him is Ish Smith, who is better suited as a backup than a starter at this point do you think there's any chance isaiah thomas revives his career in washington and gets back to the level or anywhere close to the level even that we saw a couple years ago in boston i don't think he necessarily is going to be as bad as he he was last year for denver so i mean because that that just seemed like too steep a decline i just don't think he fit into that culture uh, with Denver, a very unselfish team that relied much more on ball movement and and cutting, and you know there wasn't really a hierarchy in place. Whereas Isaiah has always been a guy who like wanted the primary role. I think after a year of that, he must have to some extent acknowledged this, and for him to sign on with with Washington, knowing full well that Bradley Beal, you know, who averaged what twenty six points this year uh, or last year. Uh, I have to assume that he's he's recognized that he's not going to be that guy. Like he, when he accepts a you know one year min contract, that comes with a certain understanding. I feel so. Is he going to be as bad in Denver? I I don't think so. Is he going to be the twenty nine point scorer that he was in Boston? Hell no. Uh, it's going to be somewhere in probably the low low teens scoring wise, like twenty plus minutes a game. Um, you know, finding himself a a way to earn a another contract next summer that might run for two years and a little bit more than the minimum, that would be a win, I think, considering what he's gone through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the sad but true outlook of Isaiah Thomas right now. But I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think he's going to be as bad as it was in Denver last year, if only because he has less competition for minutes. Like he's not competing with the Jamal Murray, who he was never going to displace as a starter. And then in Denver, you at least figured, okay, when he, when he's back from the hip injury, he'll at least be the backup. But then Monte Morris came along and turned into one of the best backup point guards in the league. The, The wizards do not have that. So he should at least get a chance or more of a chance than he had in Denver where he played like I think nine or ten games and then Mike Malone was like nope we are cutting the court on this one this did not work it was worth a try thanks for playing here's two million dollars that shouldn't be the case in Washington but yeah I mean it's it's still going to be an uphill battle for him to get back to his past glory but fingers crossed I mean I, I wish nothing but the best for him because he was just really kind of screwed by timing had he been a free agent one year earlier he'd probably be sitting on a hundred million dollar contract right now which sucks that he missed that opportunity oh you know more than anything i just want him to see play i want to see him get minutes and get games he's only played in 44 games since that very famous 29 point season so for him to just play a full year of plus 70 games that would be huge yeah for sure. And you're right. I mean, it, even if he doesn't get a nine-figure contract, getting some sort of long-term deal next summer would be an upgrade from where he has been the past two years. Right. So, Jeff, I want to end the Wizards talk on just looking at their long-term outlook because, again, Wall is out for probably all of this year, entering the first of his four-year $170 million Supermax. Other than Brad Beal, who either whether they keep him, re-sign him to an extension, or trade him, do the Wizards have any sign of long-term hope here? 
I mean, they do, but it's always, it's only at the fringes. It's like if you were to have their, you know, 0th percentile and 100th percentile outcome, the, the two ends of that spectrum are really good for them, and the vast majority of the middle is not good at all. And I think that's where things, you, you can have some hope for them that either things go poorly with Bradley Beal and they can trade him for a Anthony Davis, Paul George-like package, uh, where they understand, like, okay, we're not competitive. This is not working out. We need to move on from him, and they get, you know, something very, very good for him. Or it swings the entire other way, and John Wall comes back healthy, and everything's good again, and they're, you know, in that sort of top five, top four conversation in the Eastern Conference again. The, again, both of those things feel relatively unlikely. Certainly the John Wall side is much more unlikely than the the get a, a big package for, for Bradley Beal side of things, but the the middle sort of 80% of, of outcomes for them is that they are just good enough that they try to convince themselves that Bradley Beal will stick around. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, next summer and he's not sure what he wants to do. And they are like, oh, we'll, we'll continue to try to convince him to sign this big extension. And then all of a sudden they either get peanuts for him or he walks in free agency. That feels like the, the, the most likely outcome, unfortunately for them. The only thing that gives me some sort of pause about that is the fact that they hired a new general manager. They've got this more sort of hopefully forward-thinking front office. They've got this weird sort of combination of different people from all sorts of different walks of life. So that will perhaps, you know, uh, start some conversations where they decide to go, okay, let's really look at ourselves here. Do we have the job security to go through a, a, a tanking process where they get rid of, of Bradley Beal and they bring in picks and young guys and they're going to be bad and they can move forward with that? If the if the people in charge feel like they have the job security to do that, then I think it's it's something that they should strongly consider. It, you know, again, Leonsis would have to, to sign off on that. But the, the, the median outcome for them, unfortunately, is that they try to play out the string with Bradley Beal, continuously try to convince him to come back, continuously try to convince him that John Wall is going to be back at his, his superstar level, and then it doesn't work out and he walks away for nothing. <laughs> yep, I, I yeah. sadly agree. <laughs> Which At least we covered the two most depressing teams in the same pod. We got Charlotte and Washington, so we're, we're done with them. And now we can focus on teams moving forward that are at least not as screwed moving, you know, long term. So I do like Troy Brown Jr. Though I have to, I have to include this. Yes, and hey, Rui Hachimura is the next Giannis, so maybe they aren't screwed. Um, If he was the next Giannis, we wouldn't even be having the Bradley Beal debate whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, he's uh, he's maybe a little bit more of the uh, the next Jabari Parker than uh, than the next Giannis. (laughs) Yep. Don't, don't tell that to Scout, man, guys. Yeah, well, all right. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Yep, that is a perfect place to end. So, Jeff, thank you again for coming on today. Let our listeners know one more time where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel, at Early Bird Rights as well, earlybirdrights.com. Uh, we've got salary cap information, articles, rotation tools, statistics are coming in the next six and a half weeks if I can uh, get my act together a little bit. And then uh, <laughs> Petri Hoops for all your Hawks coverage. Uh, we do lots of, of really good stuff throughout the year. If you're somebody who loves the Hawks and thinks they can do no wrong, then we're not the place for you. We're much more grounded in reality and, and understand like where this team is in the, in the grand scope of the league and understand sort of what things uh, they need to do going forward. 
but we're yeah, I think we're we're a very good place for for analytical coverage of the team. So if you're interested in that over at Peachtree Hoops, otherwise uh, you can follow me on Twitter and you can find uh, some articles that I'm writing elsewhere for some other outlets. Nice, yeah. Please give Jeff a follow. One of the best Hawks resources and salary cap resources out there. If you haven't spent at least a hundred hours on early bird rights this summer, you did it wrong because I I definitely did. Um, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio. So give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, wherever else podcasts are found on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker until next time. I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined as always by Morton Jensen and our special guest, Jeff Siegel. Have a good one guys. You too, Brian, and congratulations on Chuck getting a, a statue outside of the uh, the arena. I, I'm just very concerned because it rains a lot in Philly, and I do believe that water melts sugar, right? <laughs> I was going to ask if he's holding a donut in his statue, but... Well, it's sponsored by Krispy Kreme, so it has <laughs> right. to be. Right. But as a Warner Media employee, I am very thrilled for Chuck's honor and look forward to visiting <laughs> his new statue soon. <laughs> Take care, man. All right, later, guys. See ya. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip ice cap. Limited time at participating restaurants.